And I want you to remain standing. I want you to remain standing. And those that are in the sanctuary and in the ark right now, as loud as you can, I want you to say, good morning, true worth. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Good morning, true worth. Now, keep standing. Now, to everybody online, same thing. Say, good morning, online. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. All right, give yourself a hand. You're awake. You are awake. You all may be seated. Yeah, you may be seated. Uh, man, our, grow, our population of those that are worshiping online is just growing and growing and growing and growing. And we want to say to you, I hope you heard that online and True Worth. Uh, we are just so honored that you allow us to be part of your lives through the miracle of technology for those in the sanctuary who choose that spot and that you are here. Uh, God is doing an amazing thing here, even on Time Change Weekend. It's pretty amazing. And so we're glad that you're here. If you need a Bible, uh, find, uh, raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. Uh, if you have your own, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to camp out there. Uh, we're just going to stay there all morning long. So raise your hand if you need one. If you're brand new, we're not trying to call you out. It's just our way of, of saying uh, we think the scriptures are important. If you need a Bible, you may take it home with you if you need it. I want to put the scriptures in your hand. And if you are new, I'd love to meet you. Uh, if you're online, I'd love to hear from you. Email. I'll respond to you as quickly as I can. Um, we're, we're, just, we're just humbled uh, that, that you've chosen to be here. Uh, we're, we're about to open the word here. I'm going to read a very uh, impactful, I hope, parable. Before we do so, I would like to pray. Uh, God, we pause here before we open your word again uh, to declare what we know is already true. Um, that you are grace and you are truth, and that your word uh, you have given us for direction and guidance in our daily lives, and we thank you for it. And God, we live in a day in a world where our world is at a panic because of a virus. You know it, God. Uh, we cannot turn on any news outlet in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, printed, uh, social media, uh, television, radio, whatever, God, we hear about it, this virus, and the fear is... Uh, kind of deafening almost. It's uh, paralyzing some people. I pray, God, even now that you are working with the scientists and the people with all these skills to find the vaccine, to quickly, God, put a quell, an end uh, to this panic around the world. Uh, imagined and real fear. Uh, I ask you to do this, God. But, God, there is another virus uh, more deadly, more dangerous, more risky. And some of us kind of tend to ignore it and kind of laugh at it and kind of just turn our head and laugh. Uh, but this morning, we're mindful, God, of just each of us, of how fall, how short we have fallen of being like you. But God, your love, your, the vaccine of your love is through Jesus is more powerful than any of that. So I pray this morning, God, that there'll be some who will experience that vaccine in a new and fresh way, and they'll experience healing uh, through the power of your grace. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to read the parable. I'm going to read the story from the scriptures, and then we'll unpack it. So just please listen for the word of God. We'll put it on, on the screen as well. It goes like this. Uh, Peter came to Jesus, and he asked him, Lord, uh, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Uh, would seven times be enough? That's kind of what he's asking. Uh, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, not seven times, uh, but 70 times seven times. 
And then after saying that, Jesus tells this parable. Here's our parable for the day. Uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Uh, Since he was not able to pay, uh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Uh, 10,000 bags of gold was a staggering debt. Nobody could pay it. It was so big. Uh, But after this, the servant, he falls to his knees and he begs, hey, be patient with me. Uh, I'll pay back everything. He didn't have a prayer paying back anything. The servant's master, though, took pity on him. Cancel the debt, say, you're free to go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Uh, let's call that pocket change. Uh, just a few shekels. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, uh, he demanded. And then his fellow servant, he also fell to his knees, and he begged. I'll be patient with me. Be patient. I'll pay you back, I promise. Uh, But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had that guy thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Uh, Then the master called the servants in and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Uh, Shouldn't you have had mercy uh, on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then the parable ends, and Jesus steps out of the parable, and he makes this statement. Uh, This is how the heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, in the past months, I've been telling you, reminding you that, man, around this church in the past seven months, uh, we've had lots of funerals. Uh, We've had lots of funerals. And we've had lots of people come to these funerals who don't believe in God, uh, don't even like the church thing very much, but they came to a funeral. And here's something that I noticed during this whole experience of these these folks who've been coming. Uh, They just seem to know how to behave at funerals, even without ever being church people. It's amazing. Uh, They walk into a place, and they see there's a casket or an urn. Uh, They see a grieving family, lots of flowers, and they go, gosh, I know I need to behave a certain way. And they go, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be respectful, maybe a little thoughtful, a little prayerful. And uh, they just know what to do. And I'm going to call that funeral etiquette. Funeral etiquette. Uh, in In the job that I have, I've done lots of weddings. And in almost every single wedding I've done, there comes a moment where the mother of the bride stands up and she looks back at her stunningly beautiful daughter. And someone tell me, what does everybody else do right then? If you value your life, you will stand up too. Or she'll cut daggers to you with her eyes, right? And you stand up and you look back at that, at that young beautiful bride and you go, oh, she's, you gush and you ooh and you all and everything. Uh, and you do that because it's just wedding etiquette. It's the right thing to do. Uh, high school graduations. Anybody besides, besides me been to a lot of high school graduations? Uh, yeah, some of you have been to, I've been to a lot of high school graduations. There's some things you can count on at every high school graduation. At every high school graduation, the person walking across last gets the most applause. 
I mean, it's their moment. It's their moment in time. They have more cheers, more celebration than anybody else for the night. You can count on that. And secondly, uh, when everything is said and done, the alma mater has been, been kind of sung one last time. Uh, all of those graduates are going to take these little pointed hats that never stay on your head very well. And what are they going to do? They're going to fling them up. In, you don't have to tell them that. They all know. And they start dodging them as they come down, pointing, trying a little point and everything like that. And, uh, but that's what they do. And you don't have to tell them because it's graduation etiquette. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, there are certain situations in our life where we know without anybody telling us, this is how you're supposed to behave. It's the proper etiquette. In this scripture we just read, uh, there's something called grace etiquette. And there's a flagrant violation of the grace etiquette. And here's the first thing in your message notes that we learn. God is highly sensitive when people who have experienced grace violate the grace etiquette. In fact, it suggests uh, there's an unpleasant experience, perhaps, in order uh, for those who perpetually violate the grace etiquette. Now, I love why Jesus even tells this parable in the first place. Uh, Peter, he shows up with Jesus, and he's kind of showing off a little bit to Jesus. He's trying to impress Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus... Um, I want to tell you, I made a decision about something. Uh, you know that I have been raised with an eye for an eye sort of etiquette, an eye for an eye in the law. And that if somebody was to punch me the way I was raised, the good boy that I am, I can't go get some of my friends and let's go gang up and jump on that guy. I can't do that. Uh, the law says no. That would not be right. But I can give that dude my one best punch right to the kisser. Uh, you know, an eye for an eye. A punch for a punch. Uh, but I've been listening to your teaching about the supremacy of love. I've been listening to all your teaching about turning the other cheek, about nonviolence, about forgiveness. And Jesus, I come to the conclusion that I'm going to raise my standard, a new benchmark for how I'm going to handle my life when someone wrongs me. I'm going to up my game. So when someone punches me, when someone wrongs me, I'm going to forgive them. And if they wrong me again, I'm going to forgive them again. And then his mind is working, and he's kind of reeling, and he's trying to think, okay, where does this thing stop? And he kind of, he kind of pulls the number out of the air. He said, in fact, I tell you what, Jesus, I'm going to forgive them up to seven times. And then I think Peter's expecting Jesus to have fireworks come out from nowhere, or the marching band and the parade. Hey, you got it. Peter, you're so smart. You're so good. You're getting so good. That's not what happened. Uh... Jesus said, you know what, Peter, you got one of the numbers right in the equation. You got one number right. There is a seven, but it's actually seven times 70. Peter goes, Bah! blows his mind. What? What? 
What? In your notes, number two. There is no limit to the number of times Jesus' followers are to forgive those who have wronged them. No limit. I mean, you count to 490. Watch 491. He's really saying there's no limit. Does that blow anybody's mind? That there's an expectation that you are to forgive and forgive over and over and over endlessly, repetitively, joyfully? No matter who wrongs you, no matter how many times, even the same person. And it's in this place where everybody's minds are going, I can't wrap my head around this. Jesus tells this parable. Now, I'm just going to hit the high points, kind of unpack the high points really quickly here as best we, best we can. Uh, so you got this king, and this king loans out money to trusted citizens who are going to invest the money. And he fully expects a full return on the principal, the whole principal back, plus interest. So it comes time for the loans to come, new, come due. So he says, are we going to have a meeting? Come pay up. Let's even the scales. And so they all come in. Now, there was one guy, we read, who had lost everything he had been given, some sort of Ponzi skill, like Ponzi scheme, I guess. He got caught on some sort of bad deal. Not only did he lose the principal, he accumulated this massive debt, massive amount of debt. And in fact, the, the bookkeeper there says, listen, I want you to know this guy, he, he owes you uh, 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, that's an unlimited, that's what the scripture's trying to say. In our day and time, uh, that's like a trillion dollar debt. Think about you having a trillion dollar debt. Uh, not a million, not a billion. Wrap your head around a trillion dollar debt. And so the king knows this guy can't pay back that debt. There is no way he can pay back a thousand lifetimes. Uh, so the king decides to send a message to everybody else and to recoup some of his losses. He's going to sell this guy, his wife, and his kids into slavery uh, to kind of mitigate his losses. And so he's about to do that. And the servant we read right here in the text, he goes to his knees and shamelessly, I mean, with no shame, he begs. I mean, he begs, no, 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 please, 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 have mercy, not my wife, not my kids, please, please, no, no, no. And everybody goes, man, it's not going to happen. And shockingly to everybody's hearing the story, uh, the king's heart is touched. And the scripture says he has pity on him. And with one stroke of the pen, he cancels that dude, hold that, it's gone. Now, anybody here who knows money, investments, anybody who does that for a living or do it in your own life, you know that debt doesn't just magically go away. Somebody's got to pay for it. And so in this story here, the king absorbs all of that debt into his own financial portfolio, and he covers the debt with all of his own resources. He says, I got it. You are free to go. 
And so he does. Now, here's the main issue. If anyone is here who's in the county, you know what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is teaching an accounting metaphor. He's using an accounting metaphor to teach us a spiritual issue. And here it is in your notes. It's really a form of a question. How massive, Jesus is raising the question, how massive is my moral debt? How massive is my pile of wrongdoings? How big is it? that I have in my life. How big is it? That's really the question. How big is it? Now, I really don't want to talk about my massive pile. I'd rather talk about yours. Okay. So I just want you to just think about it in your own life. Uh, how, how big would you say is the pile of wrongdoings that you have accumulated in your life? How big is it? Is it a small little pile? Is it kind of an average size is it gargantuan? You can't see over the top. How big is that? I'm on a plane to Ethiopia, a teaching trip over there, a long flight. I shared part of this story with you before. Uh, my seatmate finds out that I'm a pastor. I have my Bible open. I'm doing a little work, doing a little writing stuff. Uh, we get in a conversation. He says, well, listen, have, did you always want to be a pastor? And I said, heck no, I don't even like pastors. I said, I didn't want to be one. No way. And what well, do you want to be? Well, I was, I was going to be a professional baseball player. You know? And if that didn't work out, you know, I was going to do something in business, you know, in hospital administration business or something like that in the medical field or something like that. Uh, well, what happened? How come that didn't happen? I said, well, uh, when I was 16, I had this experience where someone showed me this something called grace. And it so rocked my world, uh, I went, whoa. And it took me a while to get it. But once I finally got it, I kind of started running from it because it kind of scared me a little bit. But then when it really began to sink in, I came to a point in my life where I just fell into the arms of grace. And it became so compelling in my life, uh, I just decided to feel like God was saying, you know what, Rick, I want you to tell as many people as you can over the course of your lifetime just how much I really love them. And about this thing called grace. He said, wow, that's quite a story. I said, well, yeah, it's my story. You know, it's just my story. But what about your story? You know, tell me about, tell, tell me about your story. He says, well, you know, I, I really think I'm pretty good with God. Oh, you do? Well, tell me about that. He said, well, uh, I'm patriotic. I vote Republican. <laughs> he said, I'm uh, married. Uh, I go to my wife's church a couple of times a year. You know, that's a good little church. She loves it. She goes all the time. I, a couple of times a year, I, I go with her. I join her. And at the end of the year, when they need a little money, I don't mind writing a check. I like to give. I do that sort of thing. And, uh, I, I'm active in the community, in the town in which we live. I do some stuff in the community and everything. I, I think I'm a pretty good dad. I'm an okay husband. And, you know, I think when I get to the end of my life, you know, I think that everything is good. I think I'm pretty good with God. I said, man, that's cool. That's great. I'm glad you got that going for you. And... Uh, is that, is that something you read somewhere? 
is that something somebody taught you, or is that just your own idea? He said, well, I guess it's just kind of my own idea. I said, okay. Hey, would you like to, would you like to know what the Bible has to say about that? We've got a long plane flight. It's going to be a long time. Isn't it? And, and, you know, and I'm not going I'm I'm to do that now, but I would just say that if, if by chance you want to know what the Bible has to say about it while we're flying, just nudge me, let me know, and we'll stop and we'll have a conversation. He said, great. And we started talking about sports and other stuff a little bit, kind of left it there. And then I came back to doing my little Bible time and doing my writing and everything like that, and then I went to sleep. You know, I'm asleep. And then I get this nudge. And I go, oh, I'll wake up kind of in a panic. You know, either one, I'm snoring, or number two, I'm snuggling with the guy, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, either one of those are not good. You know, so I wake up and say, is everything okay? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. I said, good. He said, are you awake? I said, yeah, I am. And um, he said, uh, hey, you know what you were telling me? Uh, you said something about that Bible thing about, I've been wondering. Would you mind kind of telling me? I said, yeah, oh, sure. You mean what the Bible? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. So I got out a piece of paper, and uh, here's kind of here's what we did. I said, here's what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says that God is perfect. Uh, the Bible says that God is holy. That's another word for holy. God is holy. God has no stain, has no flaw. God's love is so pure. I mean, it's not been dirtied up, messed up by anybody. It is just the most pure, clean experience in your life. That's who God is. But the Bible says we human beings are not so much. Uh, we human beings, the Bible says, we have fallen way short of the glory of the perfection of God. Way short. Now, in a minute, I'm going to give you this little pen I have here. And I'm going to let you kind of look at this and kind of tell me where you think you fit on this continuum about measuring up to this holy and perfect, wonderful, loving God who loves without condition and just so generous and everything like that. And it may be that you're up here just bumping your head up against where God sits. But... Here in a second, I'm going to let you do that. And I don't know you. You don't really know me. So I, you can put it wherever you want. But just to kind of help you, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, tell me, uh, in the world, who is the most holy, the most good, the most godly person you've ever heard of in your whole existence? Who is it? And, oh, I know quickly. Uh, that's Mother Teresa. I said, I think that's a good pick. I mean, and now I know. I've never got a chance to meet Mother Teresa. I don't know her, but I've read a lot of her stuff. I've heard a few of her talks, and here's what I think I know about Mother Teresa. Uh, she didn't feel too good about herself a lot of the time in her relationship with God. Uh, she felt like she let God down many, 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 many times. In fact, she got into arguments with her superiors in the convents where she worked, and she just hated it. She said, I can't believe I keep doing stuff like that. And so I'm thinking that if Mother Teresa was here, I'm thinking that she would probably put herself kind of somewhere uh, down here on this little line. And he kind of looked at it and went, whoa, Okay. But for the sake of conversation, let me ask you, let's keep it to America. You say you're a patriot, uh, you're an American, you're proud of that. So in the United States of America, uh, same thing. Uh, someone that kind of blows your mind that you just kind of think, man, I, I could never measure up to them. They're just so good, so godly, so pure, so holy. Uh, a human being, who would that be? Quickly, boom, uh, Billy Graham. I said, well, 
what a great name, of course, Billy Graham. And, and I said, you know what? I've never met Billy Graham. He and I are not friends. Uh, we've never had that, never shook his hand or anything like that. Personally. But I have been to some of the crusades where Billy Graham teaches. And I know what he does. Before he goes out to teach, when he did all his teaching thing, he would have pastors gathered from the local area, and he would spend time with them before the crusade, before he went out to speak, and he would ask a pastor, a random pastor, to come up and pray, put hands on him and pray over all his wrongdoings. Very humble man. I think that if Billy Graham were given this opportunity, he would say, I am, I am nowhere close to Mother Teresa. I'll put myself uh, down here. Uh, no way. I, I think that's what he would say. Now, you don't know me. Uh, we just kind of met. By now, you're wishing we had never met. Uh, and you may change seats on the other side of the curtain here in a little while. I get it. Uh, but just, just for conversation, I am a pastor. I've been doing this for a long time. I love God. Uh, I love the church I get to serve. And I just, I mean, for many years, just trying to let people know how much God loves them, uh, try to help hold marriages together, keep kids on the right path, um, try to serve the poor through our church as much as we can. But I know where I would fit on this continuum. <laughs> I know that, that I'm going to be down here below Billy Graham. I, I can't even hold a candle. I mean, I just, there's no place I should be so much lower. So, so now we kind of got this established. Uh, why don't you put your mark where you think you would be on this one? He said, well... I'm probably lower than you. <laughs> Put it on Mark right here. And he got quiet and kind of looked at that little piece of paper we had there on that little tray thing you pull out. And he said, uh, so what you're telling me is, I'm not going to quote him. I got a substitute word. He said, so what you're telling me is I'm toast. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not saying you're toast. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying you got a gap. Uh, you got a gap between who you are in your character and how good you are between how good our perfect and wonderful and loving God is. That's all I'm saying. You got a gap. And the gap's a problem. But it's not terminal. God loves you so much. He said, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to take care of the gap. He said, it's called amazing grace. Here's how it works in your notes. Amazing grace. God sends Jesus into the world. Because he loves the world, for God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus into the world. And on the cross, he absorbed all my debt that I could not afford to pay for all my pile of wrongdoings. And then Jesus dies an atoning death for my sins, for my brokenness, for me. And then this next thing is a theological thing. That you're going to go, what? Jesus imp 
imputes his righteousness. That is, he puts his holiness, his goodness, his character, his purity on you, on me, so that I then am reconciled back to God where my ex gets to go right here and God sees me as perfect just like his son is. And the scripture calls that amazing grace. Now, it'd be great if I could tell you that right there on that plane... Thousands of feet up in the air, sitting there, he said, man, that is pretty cool. I want to accept Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord right here and now, but that didn't happen. I wish I could tell you that uh, several hours later, before we landed in Frankfurt, we went back into the galley, uh, you know, where all the while where you're walking and everything, and he got on his knees and I baptized him on that plane. That would have been a cool story. But that'd be just a story. That didn't happen. And neither one of those things happened. What happened was like what happens a lot of times. Uh, When I share this with someone individually or a group, or we talk about this thing called grace, or I draw some sort of picture of some kind trying to explain it, they go, you know, that this picture, it just looks kind of crazy, ridiculous. I don't get it. It seems supernatural. It kind of wraps, I can't wrap my head around it. It's great. Thanks for letting me know that. But I need to think about it. Happens a lot. Kind of natural. But when someone receives this and they get this, when you get grabbed by grace, when you start growing in grace, when you start living in grace, you're going to discover grace is the single most explosive, transforming reality in your life because grace will mess you up. It will so mess up your heart, it will change you that you cannot look at anyone without seeing them through the eyes of grace. It redefines every single relationship you will ever have in your life because you see them through the eyes of grace. Now, I'm going to leave that right there. Let's make sure we kind of finish and get the whole story here. So this young guy, this young investor, he's blown away. He's going, wow, okay. And the first thing he does is he walks out and he grabs this guy who owes him a little pocket change from a bad golf bet, a couple of hundred dollars, and he chokes him. I mean, the king didn't even touch him. He chokes him, physically accosts him, pay me back what you owe me. The guy gets on his knees, begs him, oh, please, 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 please forgive me, please, please, please. And you would think, right, you're going, oh, yeah, he's going to forgive him. He just got forgiven. He's going to do the same thing. Wrong. He goes and has that dude who owes him a couple of hundred bucks. He just got forgiven for a trillion-dollar debt, and he throws him in jail until he could pay him back. It says the servants ratted him out. Verse 31. 
when the servants, the other investors, saw what happened, they were outraged. They were furious. Why were they outraged? Hey, not because he threw the guy in jail. Did you know it was perfectly legal back then in that culture? If someone owes you money, uh, you turn them in and they get thrown in jail until they pay you back. That's just how they did things. But they were outraged because he violated grace etiquette. Here's grace etiquette. Number five in your notes. Grace etiquette. People who have experienced grace extend grace. Uh, it's just intuitive. You don't have to read a book or listen to a podcast. <laughs> uh, probably shouldn't even have to come to a worship service. Here's some guy like me or some gal uh, talk about it. To be a human being, it's just human. Uh, when you receive grace, that you naturally extend it to somebody else. And if you don't, it's being inhuman. It's subhuman. And so the king, uh, he goes, man, I can't believe that happened. He said, dude, I canceled all your debt. You begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? <laughs> I mean, don't you know what the grace etiquette is? Don't you know what grace etiquette is? I, I guess you don't. So since you don't, I'm going to hand you over to the jailers. And you're going to be put in the same jail cell as your golf buddy. Except he's getting out sooner than you. Because you owe a lot more. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, I want to make sure you all get this. I love you. This is not harsh. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to let you know. Uh, this is how my father is going to treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your what? What's the word? From your heart. In your message notes, uh, grace and forgiveness are heart issues. Uh, they're heart issues. It's not about the head. That's what Peter was doing, right? Okay, Jesus, I want to figure out a number in my head that if I get to this certain point of forgiveness, I've done it, I'm relieved of the responsibility. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, my heart has been so touched and transformed by what you have done for me and what you're going to do for me on this grace thing. Woo, I just can't believe, God, you've forgiven me that I'm just going to forgive anyone, anytime, all the time. He didn't say that. Hey, give me a number. Give me a number. Give me a number so I know I can stop. Is there anybody here besides me that when you read this story or kind of grasped this story that it really kind of blew your mind that right after this guy got forgiven a trillion dollar debt that he went and had this other guy threw in jail for a little bit of pocket change? Did anybody go, what's up with that, huh? And you go, that's scumbag, right? Low life. Who does that sort of thing, right? I mean, he at least could have written a fake, you know. He can at least put a Twitter out there, a tweet, right, going, man, the king is awesome. Could have taken a selfie, right, posted on Instagram with the king canceling his debt. The king's canceling my debt. Everybody notice our king is the most awesome king in the whole world. Hey, king, hey, I will, I will sweep the palace for 10 years free of charge. Could I just do something for you? I mean, anything. He did nothing. He goes and throws the guy in jail for pocket change. Anybody disturbed by that? 
disturbed the king that he was so heartless. It disturbed Jesus that humanity is so heartless. He said, forgiveness it comes from your heart. Now, I'm going to close this really quickly here by sharing with you things that are not in your notes of just two or three things. Uh, I'll share two. I'll just share two that mystify me. I mean, it mystifies me, okay? It mystifies, to, to the day I die, this will mystify me. Oh, when I hear someone who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I say, hey, tell me your story of grace and forgiveness, and they have no emotion. It's void of all emotion. It's just all in the head. It's just a, a theological thing in their head. No heart, nothing. I go, tell me, uh, tell, tell me about your story. Oh, pastor, I, I love Pathway Church, and uh, I love the ministries. I love the programs. I love the people. I mean, it's just a cool place to come. I say, great. Oh, great, great to hear that. Is that all? Yeah, I think that's about it. So. Can you tell me about your relationship with God? Can you tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you tell me that? Can you tell me about when it grabbed you, that you had this debt, you had this pile of wrongdoings <laughs> so great you could do nothing about, but God sent his son Jesus in the world, and he took it away, and you're canceled. It's gone. Can you tell me when you became so overwhelmed with that and it touched your heart of God's forgiveness for you? Can you, can you tell me that? And they kind of give me a blank stare, kind of like some of you look at me right now like, Can you tell me a time about when you came and professed your faith in Christ before a church body? Can you tell me when you confirm your baptism, your infant baptism, when you stood and said, I claim my infant baptism, and I profess my faith in Jesus Christ. Can you tell me a time that you were baptized, you came up out of the waters, and you went, whoa, the cleansing, refreshing waters of God's grace. I'm just so, can you tell me about that? Well, Pastor, I've heard you talk about that, but you need to know that I, uh, I don't like crowds. It makes me nervous. And not only that, you know, when you get baptized, you have bad hair days. Yeah. And they take these pictures of you, and they post them on places, and I just, you know, ah, just. And I go, really? Uh, you just got forgiven for this trillion-dollar debt. He's not asking you to clean the palace for 10 years for free. He's just saying, would you let people know how great is my love for you? Would you just make a public, make it public so everybody knows? Would you be willing to at least come up out of the baptismal waters or for the waters to be baptized upon you as a public statement that you're grateful for the forgiveness and the grace that I have given you? Would you be open to that? This blows my mind uh, sometimes. Just, I'll never understand it, uh, the mystery of all that. Just, Church, I'm, I'm 65 years of age. I'm almost dead. <laughs> it could happen any second. It might happen before this worship time's over, you know. <laughs> and I just want to make sure I've done my job because I don't want anybody here having surprises. you to know how much God loved you through his son Jesus Christ and that when you enter into that relationship for him 
You are made perfect in his sight. The debt is paid. And it's amazing. Not amazing. It's amazing. So if you, if you sing Amazing Grace and you don't tear up, if you go golfing on Good Friday, you know, if you blow off baptism, you blow off communion, I'm just wondering, have you really been touched by grace? Have you? And there's a second thing. Here's the last thing. And that is, I will always be mystified by people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ, who receive so much grace, but they can't extend grace. It blows every circuit in my brain. A couple comes into my office, uh, married or sometimes it's just friends, but they come into my office and they sit down across from each other and all of a sudden they start going back. I mean, they're at it. I mean, you did this, you did that, you did this. I mean, and their, their veins are pulsing and their eyes are just blaring and just stuff, just fangs are, and they're telling stories. You did this, you, you did this. And, and they just, after 10 minutes, and finally they stop and say, Pastor, would you like to say something? I said, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, I would. And uh, I started off being concerned for your marriage. But now I'm concerned about your souls. Because I don't see anyone giving anybody any grace. And you tell me you have experienced grace, but I don't see you giving any grace. I'm concerned. Have you really experienced amazing grace? Have you? I mean, there are some of you. You're holding these things over people's heads. You did this. You did that. You did that. I can't believe it. You just hold it over their head. Just You keep bringing it up over and over and over and over and over and over again. Family members owe you a little money. You never pay me back. You're never coming back to this Thanksgiving, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. You fight. And I want to go, really? You say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And he has forgiven a trillion dollar debt. And you can't give just a little grace, just a little bit to somebody. Just saying. Concerns me. That's not who we are. So here's how we're going to finish here. I want to invite everybody to stand. True War, stand. Sanctuary, stand. Uh, if you're online, you can stand. I would invite you to stand. And here's what I want you to do for the next two minutes. I want you to focus as we sing this thing out. Uh, where would you put your ex? I want you to focus for two minutes. Just stare right here at this. Where is your ex? Where is it really? Where is it? And if you're tempted to put it a little north of Mother Teresa, I would like to meet you after worship. <laughs> because, man, I never met Mother Teresa, so I would like to meet you. Okay? But seriously, I would just like for you to think about that. Seriously. I know it's time change weekend. Some of you, it's getting dark. You go, I'll just take a nap. No. Uh, this is too important. We're talking about for someone's eternity. We're talking about restoration of relationships. Where's your ex? Andrew? Jesus paid it all.
Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Why don't we praise Him for it? Sing it together. this morning you think whoa I've been putting this off I need to profess my faith in Jesus I need to get I need to do that uh, over here underneath uh, Chris and Donna or underneath this little screen over here just kind of walk over here and say hey listen I'd like to talk to somebody later about this and we'll, or you need to be baptized you go you know what I, I, I never thought about it that way I want people to know I want people to know Come right over here, say something to them, and they'll get you in the pipeline so you can have that experience. And some of you, uh, let me say this pretty directly because I'm not going to see some of you again until next weekend. Stop holding on to the grudges. Go home. Call somebody. Email somebody. Give them some grace. Uh, you'll feel better. After all. Uh, that's what God did for us, right? God, I thank you uh, for the assembled body here from all over the world, uh, across the United States of America, True Worth Sanctuary, and this ark. And God, I sense that you have moved. I pray this grace thing, God, it will grab hold not just of our minds, but of our hearts. And you will help us to be like Jesus, a forgiver and a grace giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. Baptism over here.